Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. We are in a series on 1 Thessalonians here. And uh, we, last week, Jim Jordan from District came and challenged us and called us to be a witness for Christ. Well, this week we are going to be picking back up on 1 Thessalonians. And I want to kind of give us a quick reminder of what is happening here in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. We, we see how this church got started in the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey and they show up to Thessalonica and they preach the gospel. And they are there, and scripture says this two times, they are there for three weeks. Three weeks. Think about that. Three weeks they planted a church. And in three weeks time, many uh, of the Greeks and the prominent women in that area and some Jews came to know Christ. And this is Paul writing to this church. This is actually Paul's very first letter they believe that Paul ever penned to any church. Paul was still on his missionary journey and Paul loved this church and Paul wanted to know what is happening at that church. That church where I was only there three weeks and the Lord moved and people got saved. What is happening at that church? So Paul sent Timothy. Timothy went by there and stopped and got to know what has been happening and gave the report back to Paul. And Paul pens this letter to this church. And it is amazing at how well this church is doing and thriving. And so we are going to be spending probably the rest of summer looking at First Thessalonians. And this church, it was... It was by no means a perfect church. Paul is writing to them. He has some encouragement for them. He is amazed at how well they are doing in their faith. But, but as we are going to be reading this book, we will see Paul challenging them on some key areas that I think definitely apply for us today. But this time, we are going to uh, pick up in 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 1. Once again, I'm going to ask for you guys to stand, and we are going to read the first five verses this morning here. First Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 1, says this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the, of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace, verse 2. We give thanks to you, we give thanks to God always, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Let us pray. Father, as we go to your word today, as we come here, Lord, seeking you and desiring to be hearing from you today, Father, may you come and speak through your Holy Spirit today, Lord. Father, we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So two weeks ago, we were concentrated on verses 2 and 3. 
It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The church that Paul is writing to, he was amazed at how they had works of faith and how they were laboring in their love for others and how they were steadfast in their hope for Jesus Christ. And we spoke about that two weeks ago. Well, this week, um, we're going to be focusing in on the next two verses. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, are we only doing two verses today? And you said that we're going to be in this book for like a while. Like, how long are we going to be in this book? Well, I don't know. We could be only taking one to two verses a week. No, I'm just messing with you. This week, as I looked at First Thessalonians, these next two verses were really amazing to me. And, and, and just what Paul was saying here, I think is such a good challenge and encouragement for us today. So let's look at verse 4 here this, this morning. So Paul, as he is writing to them, he says this. He says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul says these words, for we know. Paul is writing to this church and he has absolute confidence in what he is about to say. For we know. Paul is 100% sure of this next line. For we know. Beloved. Loved by God. Paul makes this statement to this church wanting to, the, wanting to encourage them, wanting to remind them as your person who I, who I came and preached to you, and as I'm writing to you, I know for a fact that you are loved by God. That you are his beloved, he, he is, says to him here. He wants to encourage them. He wants them to know, guys, I want you to know that you are loved. And, and, and that line right there is not a controversial line. I think, I think all of us here in this room, if you would talk to another church or, or talk to a brother or sister in Christ, you could easily, with, with full confidence, know that God loves them. It's this next line that becomes very controversial. And I want to kind of take a moment and talk about that. And he says, and that the Lord has chosen you. Now, some of you who maybe have studied church history or theology and, you know, this is, this is where within Scripture there is a great divide within churches in America and around the world. And they have been talking about this one line for centuries. Paul is writing and he is saying, I know for a fact, for we know, that you are loved, but also that God has chosen you. And that word chosen becomes very controversial in the sense of, well, do we have a free will? Do we not have a free will? If God has chosen us, 
do I have a will? Do I have any say in this matter? And this is where churches and people and theologians for centuries, and I mean centuries, have been debating this. And this would be whether we are predestined or if we have a free will. And some of you who have been in church long enough have probably looked into this different theology out there. But it is so controversial, and so many people have been arguing about it and trying to figure out Do we choose God on our own free will, or does he choose us, and do we really have a free will? Now, I'm not here to fully answer that question today, because I am not smart enough to, uh, to, to dive into all of that, and there have been brilliant minds arguing about that here. But when we read scripture from the old to the new, we see this taught over and over and over, this word chosen. Deuteronomy 7.6 For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Ephesians 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to be adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And you will see this theme over and over and over throughout Scripture that God looks at his people and God uses this word, chosen. That I have chosen you. And like what I said in the theological realm, which I know all of you probably read you know, theology books daily. You guys wake up and you guys just love just those old theology books. I totally get that. I'm right there with you. But they have been debating this and man has been struggling with this idea of, well, if God has chosen me, do I really have any say in all of this, you know, do I, have, do I have any say? Do I have any will? Well, it's interesting because at the same time, you will see this word used time and time again. God has chosen you. God has predestined you. God also says this in Joshua. And you guys know these verses. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, served beyond the rivers and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. In verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in those in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God gives his people a choice. God says, I've chosen you, but then God turns around and says, but I want you to choose today. Who will you serve? You're going to serve these past gods, or are you going to serve me? But God says, I want you to choose. And what we, we see over and over again is both, as we see that God, God talks about 
him choosing people. But we also see God challenging his people, choose me, and giving them personal responsibility. That they have to make a choice on whether or not they are going to be serving the Lord or serving these other gods. So I bring this up because when you come across stuff like that, it is controversial, but I believe this, that the Lord is in perfect control in all things. But I also see within Scripture that we have a personal responsibility to him. That we have a choice to play in this matter. We are not just robots here, right? Like say, we don't wake up and we're not just, okay, the Lord said, you know, says this and we're just robots here. He gives us an option here. And so I share this because as Paul is writing to this church, he's saying, I know that you are beloved and I know that God has chosen you. And then he says this next word, because. So Paul is basically saying, I've got evidence here. I know how loved you are, and I know that he has chosen you because. And look at this next verse. So 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, once again. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because. Here is going to be the fruit. Here is going to be how Paul knows. How does Paul know that this group of people, that this church is loved and chosen by God? He's going to share it with us. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The church in, in the, um, the church here might have been wondering this question. Do we really know? Do we really know that we are his people? Have you ever kind of wondered that question? Because I have seen people struggle with this. How do I really know if I'm saved? How do I really know if I'm actually part of God's kingdom? How do you know? Now, we could, I could spend a whole bunch of time because Paul answers this question many ways throughout all of his writings. But here, Paul is writing to give an encouragement to this church. He wants them to know that they are loved and that God has chosen them and that they are his. And he lists off three different things here. Now, these three things are not just three separate things or three things that have to be like, you know, individualized here. These are kind of like, these things blend together. They kind of overlap. It's not just in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. It is overlapping here. And that is what I want to be talking about today. How do we know if God is working? How do we know if God has been working in our hearts or within somebody else's heart? How do we know this? Because I don't think God wants you to live your life not knowing if he is involved in it today. I believe as a believer, you can walk in confidence as what Paul is here as he writes to the church. You can walk in confidence in who you are and in knowing that you are loved and chosen by God. So here, Paul says in the first word, that when they came to this church, to these people, Paul says, we came not only in word, 
Meaning like Paul came preaching, Paul came sharing God's word, but it wasn't just God's word. It wasn't just words spoken. He says in power, the Greek dunamis. This word in Greek for for power is used throughout the Gospels for Jesus' miracles. Mark 5.30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power, dunamis, had gone out from him. Immediately he turned about the, the crowd and wondered who touched his garment. In that story, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a very busy crowd and this lady who had been suffering for 12 years comes up and touches Jesus' garments and Jesus stops and Jesus says, wait a minute, power has gone out from me. Who was that? And you see this word with, with power linking to this miracle had taken place. In Luke 4, 35 through, through 36, and Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had gone, gone through him, down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? And with, and with authority and power, same word, he commands the unclean spirits and they came out. The reason why Paul is so confident that God is at work in these people's lives, in this church's lives, is because the power of God had shown up there. Now, now we don't know specifically what kind of miracles might have, have taken place, but while Paul and Silas were there preaching and teaching and talking with them for three weeks, the power of God had shown up. Miracles had taken place. They were recognizing this entire situation is not just words. It wasn't just somebody coming up there and reading Old Testament scriptures and pointing to Christ, but the Holy Spirit's power, the power of God had shown up on that scene. And then Paul says, and the Holy Spirit. And like what I said here, these are all overlapping, but Paul is driving home this point here, that when Paul preached to these people. The Lord showed up. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Silas. The Holy Spirit came and was ministering to them and revealing who Christ was. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's interesting because the Holy Spirit, he brings so much to the table. As you read the book of Acts and as you read the Gospels here, when Jesus talks about when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going he's gonna to teach you, he's going to direct you, he's going to be doing all of these different things, but he is going to be pointing to the Son at all times. And here, at this church, Paul says, I know for a fact who you are, that, that, that you are loved because the power of God showed up and the Holy Spirit showed up. And I think this is so vital because do you guys realize that like, nothing happens. Like, like, people do not come to know Christ. It does not happen unless God shows up. Like, you can't make it happen. You, you and I don't have words. We, we don't have, like, enough, you know, elegance or our speech. We can't make God show up. And we cannot change people's hearts. We cannot change people's lives. There is sometimes in my life that I just want so badly to change my kids' hearts. Have you ever had kids and seen the like 
sometimes the like, disobedience factor here. I remember th- this was just not even that long ago. I really wanted my daughter to apologize to her brother. And I'm like, you, you have to. You must apologize. You, you have done wrong. You should be feeling guilty. You should be having a sense of like remorse within you. And I couldn't will it into her. I couldn't, like, I couldn't make her feel this way. And I think about that when it comes to the Lord. Like, we can't make it happen. We as believers can share God's word. We can share his truth. We can share his gospel. But we, we can't, like, manufacture it. We can't, like, make, make, make these words go into someone's life and transform it. The power of God has to show up. His Holy Spirit has to be at work within somebody's heart and life for them to be transformed into a believer in Christ. The last word that Paul says here, he says in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When I read that last line, I instantly thought of John 16, 8 when Jesus talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Oftentimes when people think of the word convict, they think, well, this word just means I should feel guilty. You, you know, anytime, I, anytime I, I feel just a little bit of guilt... You know, that's really conviction. Well, as you, as you look at Scripture, the word translated is to convince someone of the truth, to reprove, to accuse, or to cross-examine an eyewitness here. It's kind of looking like you will have this overwhelming realization of who you are and who God is. You will realize that you are found guilty. You will realize, not just have a thought, not just have, well, I feel a little bit guilty today. You will utterly realize that you are 100% guilty before God in your sin. That your sin has completely separated you from him. And when the Holy Spirit comes, when he shows up, and when you want to know if the Holy Spirit is working in your life or in someone else's life as you are talking with them, you will see this conviction. You will see this realization that I am completely, completely lost. I am completely blind is what Amazing Grace says, but they will realize I am completely broken in my sin. And I think that this is so important for us to realize in our own lives. You want to know if you have come to know Christ and if you are secure in him? Has the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon you? Do you realize that that you can't save yourself? That there's really nothing good within you? That, that uh, you're just not that great of a human being. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but like when the Holy Spirit comes, 
you will realize, God, I need you. And it will all point to Christ. It will all point to the work on the cross. You will realize, I cannot save myself. I am found guilty. And you will have this overwhelming, and it will be the, the Holy Spirit working on your life. I don't believe salvation can come to someone's life without conviction. It can't. Why would John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles constantly preach repentance? Why would they preach repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand if people don't actually realize that they need to repent? You know, it's like, well, I mean, do I really need to like repent of my sins? You know, like, what's the purpose? This was several years ago. I was meeting with a local pastor in my town and um, this guy had just moved to town, and I wanted to, to reach out to him and welcome him and say, hey, you know, welcome to Plymouth here. You know, love to, you know, get to know you. I want you to know that, you know, I'm praying for your ministry here and want to be seeing you guys do really, really well. Well, well as I'm talking to this young guy, I realized, because he blatantly says it, that he doesn't believe in hell. I'm like, huh, okay. So we, you know, start this, like, conversation. And I said, okay, so you don't believe in hell? He goes, yeah, no, no, I, I don't, uh, I just don't believe in it. I don't think, uh, I don't think it exists. It's like, okay. So then I started saying, well, why did Jesus come? Because hell is separation in the afterlife between God and man. That's what hell is. It is eternal separation, that they are not going to be with Christ. I said, well, why did Christ come? You know, if, if there's no separation between man and God, like, why did God send his one and only son? Why did Jesus have to come and die? What's the purpose here? And he kind of thought about it. He goes, well, you know, you know to kind of show us, like, you know, to be good. And, and I, I'm just like, this is, he came for one reason. Because we are sinners that need a savior. <laughs> like, like, we are separated from God on this side. Jesus comes to unite us to him. And I could tell that, that, that he doesn't want to talk about sin. He doesn't want to talk about eternal separation. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, what are you doing? Like, like what's the purpose of all of this? The purpose of the gospel is to help people realize that sin exists. That if we don't preach about what God says or preach his word and help people realize, hey, we are sinners. Now, we cannot convince them, but, but we can preach his word. We can share with this world, hey, we are sinners and we need a savior. And this sin is going to damn you to hell. Not because of God doesn't love you, but because you're not coming to faith in his son Jesus. And if we don't ever talk about sin, if we don't ever talk about God's word, how can we highlight the good news? How can we really help people realize how good God is if we don't talk about the sins of this world and our own sins? You know, Paul says, I, I boast in my own weakness. But us talking about that highlights how good God is. It highlights how great the gospel is. That that our king, that the creator of the world would come down and die for the world's sins, for all of your sins. Not just some of them, not just your past sins or maybe a couple of recent sins. He died for the sins 
of the world to unite us with our Father. And when Paul came to this church, I want to read Acts 17. I believe it's verse verse 3. This is speaking about when Paul was preaching to this church. He says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. What would Paul be saying in those words? He was explaining to them and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. As Paul was preaching to this church, I can only imagine the sins he would mention. Paul had no problems bringing up sin because it was all pointing to Christ. This is why Christ had to suffer. This is why he came. He came for our sins and he died for us. And this is the good news that if you believe in him, your sins are washed away. That you can stand before your king. That you can be in his presence. That you can be united to him. And as I think about, think about church today and just think about our world, it's like, why do we shy away from sin so much? We don't really like to talk about that. You know, we don't really like to bring up sin. And it's like, sin highlights Christ. Sin reveals the love of God. Because it's us pointing like, hey, we are broken, fallen individuals and we need a Savior. Not, not, not just that we want one, but we actually need one. And it all points to Jesus. That's why it's the good news. But as Paul is writing to this church, Paul realizes and he is convinced that they are loved and chosen because the Lord had shown up and worked in their lives. That they had full conviction that the Spirit was there and that there was power and miracles and the Lord was at work in their lives. And I would say the same for us, church. Because I do know sometimes people, people wonder, am I really saved? How do I really know? And I can say this. Has God been working in your life? Specifically on this one issue of conviction. Do you realize your need for a Savior? Because there are a lot, of, a lot of people in this country that really truly believe that they're good. That they're just good moral people and I do good things and I do moral things and I'm good. And it's like, I don't think God has worked there yet. Because you will have conviction. You will have this Holy Spirit helping you realize your need for a Savior. And I want to just encourage you, church, for us just to realize how desperately we need Christ. That we really need Him. Now, I can't convince you with just my own words. I believe the Holy Spirit has to come and work on our hearts and minds. And I, I personally remember when I first realized it, when I first got it, you know, when it was like, that's why Christ came. Like, he came to save me. He came because of my sins. And it wasn't, 
It wasn't man trying to like convince me of it. It was literally the power of God and the Holy Spirit that just awakened me for my need of a Savior. And I would encourage you, if you maybe have been coming to church and you have not had that revelation, had that realization of who Christ is and how desperately you do need Him, I would ask for you to spend time seeking Him and asking Him, Lord, reveal this to me. Reveal it so deep down in me that I can't even let it go. That I can't even shake it. That it will just, Lord, I, I need you. I need you every hour. I need you every day. Lord, I need your grace. And I need your son, Jesus.